0: In this episode of the About Death podcast, we do talk about some adult themes. If you've little ones around, grab your headphones now. And a reminder that these conversations are all real. It can sometimes be a bit raw. Remember, you've always got the option to pause and to take a break for a bit. Our show notes contain links to more information about support that you can access.
1: And this is something that Kate and I always talked about is, You know, whatever cards in life you've been dealt, you know, you have to play them as best you can. And if that means having those difficult conversations at a time that is right, then have those conversations because you might only get one chance to have that conversation. And if you don't do it at that point, then you'll regret not having that conversation. So make sure you have that conversation.
0: Hello, you're listening to the About Death podcast and I'm Sam Meikle. Talking about dying and death can make us feel uncomfortable, awkward or embarrassed as we're not always sure what to say and when. Through this podcast, you'll hear why and how people start talking about dying and death and if they didn't, what they wish they might have said and the impact this has had on their lives and on the lives of those they love. Around kitchen tables, in pubs and cafes, we're having conversations to help you explore how you think, feel and talk about death. You may have heard about Dr. Kate Granger's story. Kate made a real difference to the NHS through the Hello, My Name Is campaign that she worked on with her husband, Chris. This episode is about Chris's story. And in our conversation, Chris shares what it was like to first start talking to Kate about her plans for death. And Chris believes so strongly that each of us need to to think and to make plans for our death before we need to, but also plans for our life, for how we will live after our loved one has died. Because as Chris said, remember that when life gives you 100 reasons to cry, show life, That you have a million reasons to smile. Welcome to Chris's story. To start with, where is your accent from?
1: My accent is from Yorkshire um, in the UK. Very proud to be from Yorkshire. Um, It's an amazing part of the world. I recommend anyone to come and visit Yorkshire.
0: What's great about it?
1: You've got so many different aspects of Yorkshire. You've got, you know, the rolling hills, you've got the, um, the major cities, and it's a place that I call home, obviously, um, from where I'm from, but, you know, it's got so many different things that people will all be able to interact with. Um, it's got the history behind it, and it's got amazing people.
0: Whenever I come up here, you can, something about just the expansiveness of walking along the moors or the little trails or the mills and the kind of the valleys mm-hmm. there's nothing else like it
1: no i don't think there is i mean i've been fortunate enough to have traveled a lot around the world um, and across the uk and yes the uk is a beautiful part of the world as well but i'll will always be um i'll always be glad to be back in yorkshire because it is such a, a beautiful part and like I said before, it's a place that I truly call home because of it's where I met my late wife, it's where um, my family live, it's where I've got a lot of good friends, and yeah, it's just steeped in, in in so many happy memories for myself.
0: Growing up, what did you know about death and dying? I think
1: the earliest experience I've probably got of being aware of death and dying is when my... My grandpa died. Um, I was very, very young, so I think I was around six or seven years old. So I have very vague memories of spending time with him, and all I can remember is how upset my parents were um, of the death of, um, from what I've been told, an amazing gent, um, somebody that you know um, had an amazing career. I would say um, had. Two amazing kids. Um, and he obviously left behind my grandma who died in her early nineties. So she was, you know, she was on her own for a considerable amount of time after my granddad died. But that was the earliest experience that I've had of death and dying. And it's sort of at the time you don't realize what's gone on because he wasn't a huge part of my life because of how young I was. But it was the impact on my parents that really sort of opened my eyes to um death and dying and how that can make a difference to people
0: what did you see change for them
1: i think the change was around the care inside of making sure that the family were not i wouldn't say coping with the loss of my grandad but more making sure that my grandma was was okay, because a few months after my grandad died, I remember we we took a family holiday to Lake Windermere, um, up in the Lake District, and my grandma spent a lot of time on that holiday, um, sitting by the lake, and just, I imagine, just reflecting on life, and mm. looking out to the open waters, and just thinking about all the memories that she must have had with my granddad because they were married for a considerable amount of time, and that sort of hit home somewhat as to, you know, what, what what I then experienced in later life but, you know, at that point um, it showed that as a family we grouped together and we looked after mm-hmm. each other and gave people time if they wanted time on their own but also then when they wanted to be around people, they were around people which is a good thing I was going away to somewhere somewhere different as well, mm-hmm. um, taking ourselves away to somewhere different as a family and um, enjoying some time together whilst reflecting on what happened
0: I think that's so important to find joy in those moments and reflection and it's not we were talking just before this kind of big dip down into grief for the rest of your life
1: Mm -hmm. yeah and I think there's always going to be elements of grief and elements of sadness and reflection but You know, you've also got to be happy for the times that you did have with that individual. And, you know, I know from my own experiences that you do have to find some kind of um, solace in the fact that you've had that time with that individual. I'm sure my grandma was the same. And from speaking to my grandma, you know, over the more recent sort of 30 years or so, she spoke very openly and happily about my granddad. Um, And you could tell that she was. Always thinking of the happy times that they shared together. Yes, people would probably say that he was taken fairly young, um, but we're all going to die at some point. We haven't got a a prescribed time that we're aware of, and you just got to enjoy life for as long as you can. And when it does come to the end, um, for the people that are left behind, then they need to remember the good times and also get on with their own lives because the people that have died wouldn't want people to stop their lives because they're not the ones that have died. It's They're the ones that are still here and can still do something with their lives, irrespective of what age they may be um, and irrespective of what background they have. They can continue having a fulfilled life.
0: Did you go to his funeral?
1: I... I don't think we did um, and I think the reason for that was because we were so young um, and because obviously we were at school age, I think my parents felt it best that we would continue as normal a day as possible because we didn't really understand what had gone on at that point and it, it was the right decision at the time and looking back now it was still the right decision because you know my parents knew what was best for my sister and I and um, it would have been probably hard for us to understand exactly what was going on anyway. Mm. So it certainly was the right decision. Um, but once again, if we had have been at the funeral, then that would have still been the same right decision because it was right at the time for the people involved in in in, in that circumstance.
0: And I think it's such an important point you bring up that there's no one right way for everybody. It depends on who you are, your family context, your environment context, as to what decisions you make
1: together. That's absolutely correct. And, you know, what's right for one individual, what's right for one family, what's right for one circumstances is not necessarily right for, you know, um, somebody else because each of us as a human being, we all have different traits, we all have different characteristics we're all wired in different ways and like I said for one person yes it's different to another person and that's something that is applicable in everything not just in death but in everything that we do um whatever that may be but in death and dying yeah um there's no I wouldn't say there's any kind of textbook way of handling grief or any textbook way of um handling death but there are people out there that have experienced things in life that can potentially help in some way, shape or form with some tips that help them through things.
0: How did that change over the years, your experiences from childhood about death? What did you grow to know?
1: So I don't think it was talked about that often as I sort of grew up, um, up until the point that my, my other grandma passed away um, when I was in my sort of early teens. And she passed away um at home um, and she didn't live far from where I lived at that point with my parents. And I remember that, that day quite vividly because, you know, we had the telephone call to say that she'd passed away and once again my you know, my mother was distraught but we were expecting it to an extent and I think over time people should start to prepare themselves for situations that might occur especially if we're aware that they're going to occur in the not too distant future but it's easy to say that but when you actually do get that call or when you do find out the news that a loved one that's been part of your life uh, as long as you've been alive has died you know people do react in different ways and emotions do take over sometimes some people are they go very quiet and don't like to talk about things other people, the emotions come out in the form of crying and, and everything else, which is completely normal and completely um, um, a human response to, to that. But over time, that sort of brought me more into thinking about death and dying. And don't get me wrong, it's not something that I've publicly talked about or shared that often. Um, and then there's a couple of other instances in my sort of more youthful days when situations occurred, when, you know, um, there was a situation sort of quite close to home um, in our family and friends where, you know, somebody was was murdered and that we had to deal with um, from an emotional perspective in the family. And then um, as we went through into the later years of my teenage, Life. Um, we had, you know, one of my mum's close family friends. Um, there was a, a situation where somebody had taken their own life. So it's it's hard to sometimes think about death when it's so sudden. If it's something that you know is going to occur, as in somebody's ill, or you know. Of an elderly age, and we know that they're going to pass away at some point. It's easier to sort of take in, but when it's a murder or a suicide or another situation, a, you know, um, a heart attack, then it's hard because you've not planned and you're not prepared yourself for it. So, preparing for somebody's death when you know it's going to happen, in my opinion, is probably easier than a sudden death that's not expected.
0: Did you talk with Kate about death before she was ill?
1: So we used to have quite a lot of conversations about death because obviously in Kate's work as a doctor looking after older people um, she experienced death a lot in her job because she cared for people um, she cared for older people which inherently was people coming towards the end of their life and they did die so... At first, it wasn't something that you know I was overly enthusiastic potentially about talking about because, one, it was Kate's work, and you know sometimes work should you know stay in the realms of work. But then, secondly, I was probably blinking into the fact that we were still young and it, you know we had a lot of time ahead of us. Um, but I wasn't adverse to talking about you know situations that Kate wanted to talk about because. She used to sometimes, you know, in the car on the way home from work or when we were at home, talk about how amazing these older people were that she'd had the good fortune of being part of their life, even though it was towards the end of their life, and sharing some of their stories from maybe from the war or maybe from their family life or their their life in general. And for her to be part of giving that individual a good death um, made her feel really fortunate and also proud that she's been able to do that for that individual and more so for their family as well because um she was part of that process of dying for that person. Um, so yeah I wasn't adverse to talking about it with Kate and, but a lot of it was to do with um was to do with her work.
0: Do you remember when you and Kate started talking about her death plan?
1: Yes. Um so Kate was First diagnosed in um, June 2011, and pretty much as soon as we returned back to the UK from the US, because it was whilst we were on holiday in the US that you know Kate became ill. Um, we then started talking about um, making our wills because it's something that we didn't have at that point, um, right or wrongly, um, and even though we didn't realise it was um, it was a terminal illness at that point, we still thought right. Let's make sure that, you know, some of the paperwork is up to date. So Mm -hmm. we got our wills in place and we did start to talk then about how this circumstance is going to be a life-changing event, irrespective of if it was terminal or not, it would have still defined a lot of our lives because, you know, having such an aggressive form of cancer is going to change the way you think in life and it's going to change the way in which you can operate and work and um, live your life so we knew at that point that we would have to um, we be, that's the point that we started to talk about death and dying um, and also as time went on when she was given 6 to 12 months to live um, in 2011 we started to formulate various uh, plans and she started to talk about where she wanted to be then and she, she made a plan for her, her um, funeral um, which we, you know, adapted over time, but, you know, um, as in we adapted together over time and then that was the funeral plan that um, we eventually had, which it meant for us it was easy because we just handed over the um, funeral plan that we'd come up with to the funeral directors and made it happen, um, which was one less sort of pressure on myself and the family after Kate died because we knew exactly what she wanted. Um so yeah, and then we were very we were very um humorous about death, you know, and some people didn't get some of that humour, but that's how Kate and I got through it. And you know, we did have quite a dark sense of humour, um and little instances like when um Kate asked me once if she could have You know, another cake after tea. And I was like, well, it doesn't really matter dying because you're dying anyway. So you can take as many as you want. And some people would have probably felt that was a bit, um, mean, but you know, Kate and I just rolled around laughing on the back of that. So yeah, And, and you can, you can have those comedy moments. Um, even though we're talking about, you know, dying.
0: What what was your experience of having those discussions?
1: So firstly, I suppose the discussions nine times out of 10 were always kickstarted by Kate because I didn't feel it was appropriate for me to start to talk to Kate about death and dying um, if she wasn't um, comfortable at that point talking about it. Um, so most of the conversations were started by Kate but um, we were both fairly comfortable about it I think it was our wider family and friends that often felt a bit more uncomfortable about it but for Kate and I we were fine um, talking about what was going to happen how that was going to look and you know, Kate being a doctor she'd experienced a lot of deaths in her time some of which were very good and some of which not so good and I think first and foremost Kate was Adamant that she wanted to have um, a do not resuscitate um, order in place, which we did because she didn't, she'd seen too many cases where they'd tried to resuscitate and then obviously broken people's ribs and, and it hadn't helped for any length of time. So we made sure that that was in place. um, And also just, just what would life look like for me after Kate died because Kate, took comfort in the fact that we'd talked about it and she'd been able to express what she'd like to happen um, and what her wishes would be for me after, you know, she'd died, um, which some people don't get. Um, some people don't have the opportunity to talk about life after death. And it's something that, you know, Kate and I used to talk about a lot because we were fortunate that we knew Kate was going to die. Um like I said earlier on, you know, some people will drop down dead with a heart attack or they'll get knocked over and their loved ones won't have had that opportunity to talk about everything that they want to talk about, whereas we did. And we always said we were fortunate enough to be able to do that. And we, some people thought it was a bit strange that we said it was... We, we knew that Kate was going to die, so it was good. But this was the circumstances that we were in. This is the life that we've been given and this is this meant that we could talk about it.
0: I'm thinking of our listeners who may be listening in um, and they can hear that you had a very trusting, beautiful relationship, Mm -hmm. which I think created a space that you were both able to very comfortably talk about this. Mm -hmm. With what advice, how could someone who's quite nervous about starting this conversation, what are some ideas that they could phrase it in or where does the conversations take place?
1: So, and, and is this in relation to if you've got a friend or partner who's terminally ill or is this just in general?
0: Would it make a difference?
1: Um, I think if you know that somebody is terminally ill and they've obviously told people, then it's probably – S- slightly more easy because you know that you know they're going through that. But to start a conversation about death and dying is it could be something as simple as talking about have you made a will, you know, and it could be as simple as asking that question to to friends or family members, um, and then that would then prompt further conversations about. Well, if you haven't, why have you not got a will? Because you know everyone should have one, um, and then that could also then start talking about you know well. I'd like to know um, what song would you like at your funeral, which then you can talk about funeral plans. You can talk about, you know, where they want to be. Do they want to be cremated or buried? Or do they want um, other um, parts of their wishes to be talked about? Um, You can also then, you know, you can make it as serious as you want it to be. Or you can also, you know, use humour As well, which, like I said before, Kate and I did use a lot of humour in our conversations, but and it depends once again on the circumstances and the people. Because some people are very emotionally um, fine with talking about death, dying, wills, funerals, etc., but some people, the mere mention of death you know, people sometimes in society don't like to use the word somebody's died, they like to say they've passed away. Well, yes they have potentially, but they have still died. And the circumstances that leads to that death are different in all situations. It could be a heart attack. It could be a cancer. It could be knocked over by a bus. It could be other things as well, but at the end of the day, they've still died and they're still not breathing anymore. Um, But yeah, I think it's just depends on the situation. But for me, some of the tips I'd say is just know who you're talking to. If it's a group of friends it's probably going to be a bit easier to talk about. And just start with the, start with the um, question around wills, because that does provoke that conversation, because that's not saying we're talking about death. It just means we're talking about what's going to happen to your estate when you're not here.
0: Um, and I remember I called my mum, and she's in an Australia, and I said, um, hi, mum, I'd like to talk to you about death and dying. Like, I'd, I'd been planning and ready for it. And she's like, do you want to know which jewellery you're getting?
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, comedy. (laughs) Um,
0: But it really made me think about how we make sure the other person is in a space with preparation. Because she was just doing her morning routine when I called her at my evening time. Mm -hmm. Um, And for some people asking permission or saying, hey, I'd like to talk to you about this thing can give you both a bit of a chance.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and and sometimes it is as good as not preparing them for the conversation, just coming out with it, I wanna talk about death and dying and if they say, I don't want to talk about that, then that's fine, but they might actually want to talk about it because they've not been able to prepare for the conversation. It's just yeah. um it's just as it as it is at that moment in time. And yeah, and and, and with the example you just mentioned there, you know Kate's mum was very much in the same camp as Kate and I around being very blunt about the fact that Kate was dying because on Kate's bucket list she wanted to, um she wanted to have a full price handbag from a certain um, manufacturer of handbags because in the past she'd always bought the sale items because she couldn't justify to herself buying the full price uh, handbag. So when Kate's mum found out about this, she just said, basically said, well. I'll buy you it because you don't need any of our money when we die because you'll already be dead. So that kind of humour also sort of kicked in from the wider family as well as um as well as Kate and I. So and she did get a full price handbag. So
0: Would you be comfortable talking about the bucket list? Of course, yeah. What was on it?
1: So it's not something that we had before Kate was um, ill and I do recommend that everyone should have one irrespective of what their circumstances are and irrespective of what they feel they should have on their bucket list. And there's various, you know, organisations out there that can help um with this. Um the first thing on Kate's bucket list, so we started to formulate it in twenty eleven after she'd been diagnosed, um, was to renew our wedding vows. So we renewed our wedding vows in April twenty twelve, um which was the first thing that we wanted to do because we got married. Um, in 2005, and then the second thing on the bucket list was for Kate to return to work because she wanted to help other people, she wanted to return to her career, um, to become a consultant, to look after older people, which she actually did before she died, she became a consultant in her own right, and then other items on the bucket list, there was quite an extensive list of um, items, ranging, uh, ranging from eating fish and chips, um, on the coast, on the east coast, um, like where Kate used to go as a child. So, things which might not have meaning to other people, but actually meant something to, to Kate and to myself. She wanted to go see a cricket match at Lord's because she was into her cricket. So, we managed to go and, you know, watch a cricket match there. She wanted to do um raise money for charity, which obviously we've done um, over time and continue to raise money for charity. She wanted to, um, Visit Wesendon Moor, which is somewhere once again. She used to go as a child, um, and go walking with her parents. Um, she wanted to, um, see the cause in concert, um, which we managed to do. We managed to actually meet them backstage to, um, spend some time with them, which was really cool. And a whole host of other things that some of which were, you know, costs a, a bit of money. So she wants to go on the Orient Express, so we'd go on the Orient Express from Venice to London. Um, but then other things, like I mentioned, you know, going to the East Coast, it doesn't have to be things that cost a lot of money. Um, it's just things that are important to you and to make sure that you've ticked them off, um, especially things that you're only going to do once in your life. But if you can afford to do it and you've got the time to do it and the health to do it, then I'd recommend... Um, doing it but first and foremost you need to have a bucket list in order to start ticking items off the bucket list so um yeah it's something that we should all have um in a similar way to having a will we should all have that bucket list as well because life is for living and um if you work hard then you should be able to um enjoy life as well
0: can i ask what's on your list
1: so there's certain things that you know are on my list even now. there was items on the bucket list that we had together, so the On Express was something that I've always wanted to do. Um one of the things on mine was to um to buy a Range Rover which um I've now ticked off. Um I'm quite a car fanatic as well so there's certain cars that I still want to drive um and certain roads in the world that I want to drive on um uh, more so. so you know there's a couple of roads in France that I want to get to I've not got to as yet but they're items that are on my bucket list certainly um, and then to visit various countries around the world that I've not been to and I think we talk about charity and fundraising and you know I have set a target of reaching half a million pounds for charity for um, on my bucket list and we should get to half a million pounds at some point in the next sort of 6, 12, 18 months but yeah and I'll keep adding to the bucket list um, over time I'm ticking it off slowly but there will be a lot more to come.
0: And what difference does having that bucket list make?
1: I think it gives you something to, especially for myself, obviously almost three years on from um, from Kate dying, it gives you something to focus on and wanting to achieve in life because I think there's a lot of people out there in the world who get up in the morning, go to work, they might come home, um, have dinner, maybe go to the gym or they might you know, sit and watch T V and then talk about it at work the next day and that's their life, that's what they do. And that's fine. You know, that's fine. But there's also those people in life such as myself who very rarely watch T V but are always wanting to do more for other people and also wanting to achieve more for myself as well. So always pushing myself to to do the best that I can do given the circumstances that I'm in, both from a career perspective, from a Um, from the campaign and then also from a personal point of view, because, you know, Kate wouldn't want me to be coming home from work every night, sat watching the TV on my own. She'd want me to be, you know, doing the things that I'm doing for the campaign and for other people, but also then to be ensuring that I'm happy in myself and, you know, um, whatever that looks like from a friend's perspective and, um, you know, not getting on with life as opposed to moving on because, you know, there's a distinct, difference between moving on from something because I've always said moving on is almost like forgetting about the past but that's not the case. It's about getting on with life, remembering the past and learning from learning from the memories that you've had and taking those memories forward with you because you know I've got some amazing memories of the last 42 years of my life. Yes, you know, 15 years of that were spent with Kate but the other 27 years of that weren't spent with Kate. But those 15 years were very much um, amazing times and determined a lot of what I'll do now going forward. But I've also got the time before I met Kate, which Kate and I often talked about as well. You know, there was... um, And we called it Life Before Kate because there was life before Kate. Similarly for Kate, there was life before Chris, you know. We didn't just suddenly come onto this earth, meet, and then Kate died and now my existence is... um, you know, not as good. You know, there was life before and there's life after.
0: That's so powerful. And something that's come up in a couple of the conversations is how do you bring and you use the word learning? Amir was saying in his um, conversation that you can honor someone by truly understanding what they've taught you. And then they're they're not really gone. They're living on through Their legacy, or the way that you're choosing to remember them, or the lessons that you've you've taken.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: What's changed for you now?
1: I think for me, you know, people do have an impact on people's lives. You know, I was I was in the fortunate position that you know, Kate and I met when we were relatively young, um, and we had 15 years together, and now the work that a lot of the work that I now do is talking at events around the world about the campaign we started but a lot of people always say to me when I'm talking to them on a one-to-one basis is how their lives have been impacted by the work that Kate and I have done Mm -hmm. and that makes me sort of stop and reflect on what kind of impact many people have made across the world so you know, yes for me, Kate's made a huge impact on me and the world Kate and I have on other people Um, A lot of those people will have never met before and care will have never met. Um, And it is remembering that, yes, they're not here um, because they've died, but living and breathing the values that they taught us or living and breathing the um, mentality that they had about their approach to life is actually making a difference to people now. So, you know, a lot of people might not have had a bucket list beforehand they might not have had a will, they might not have um, lived every day like, you know, it's the last before Kate and I sort of impacted their lives and they might have changed something. And if it's only changed it for one person, then, you know, we've made that difference to that person. And out there in society, there is a huge amount of people that will have always left an impact. So in my own personal life, um Obviously, my, gra- my late grandma, she will have always, she will always have that impact on my life going forward. As will my other grandparents and other people that we've lost. You know, they've all taught me something about different things in life that I will take forward. And the people that have gone almost shape the people that are left behind.
0: We've got a growing listenership all around the world.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: You've mentioned the campaign for people who've not heard about it, can you share what it is and what the plans are for it now?
1: The campaign is called Hello My Name Is. It was a campaign that started in a hospital in 2013 um, following various interactions with different healthcare professionals. Whilst Kate was in hospital as a patient, there was a distinct lack of introductions taking place. And so Kate and I decided to do something about it, and Kate had 25,000 followers at that point on Twitter, on social media, so we started the campaign hashtag Hello My Name Is, which has now become a global movement of how a simple introduction in healthcare and beyond, because at the end of the day it's just two human beings interacting with each other, how an introduction can make such a difference in healthcare conversations, but also in... Um, wider conversations the campaign started in social media, it's you know continued to grow across the world it's had over 3 billion Twitter impressions since it's conception now and it's been used in over 20 countries um, around the world and for more information about the campaign you can look at the website which is um or on social media on Twitter with hashtag is. And the plans for it are very simple. It's around making a difference to any healthcare situation or, like I said, beyond that, because we now do inspire many people outside of healthcare with the campaign and getting people to think about when they die, what difference do they, do they want to leave on the world? So in a similar vein to the question we've just had, what legacy do you want to leave when you die? Um, And Kate's legacy and my legacy is going to be one of the campaign, making a difference in healthcare. But to everyone listening, you can all make a difference. And if you make a small difference in the world, if everyone does that, then it would be better for everyone.
0: What surprised you about the campaign?
1: Initially, we were surprised around how many instances there were, there were coming to us where introductions weren't taking place and how, needed the campaign was back in 2013 and even now you know we still get situations and I'm sure you know the listeners will be able to relate to this we still get situations where introductions aren't taking place and that means that the consultation or the discussion or the conversation um, hasn't been as good as what it could have been if we'd have just had that simple introduction from each other um, to make that conversation uh, more therapeutic and more meaningful because at the end of the day, we're human beings. It's two people talking to each other. It doesn't matter if you're the chief exec of an organisation or if you're a porter or an analyst or whoever you are, you're a human being. And two human beings interacting, starting with a simple introduction, does make a huge amount of difference. And it's something that we can all do um, when we're interacting with each other.
0: I was quite struck um, earlier in our conversation you spoke about life after death. Mm -hmm. What does your life look like now after Kate's death?
1: So Kate died back in 2016. Um, She died on our 11th wedding anniversary, um, which obviously is quite a poignant day. And so... Since that point, I returned to work, um, you know, back to my career, um, back to the business that have been truly supportive to me. And that's another thing, I suppose, around everything that we've talked about is having the support of family and friends is great, but um, having the support of the organisation that you work for is, you know, truly unbelievable because we couldn't have got through what we've been through um, before Kate died or since Kate's died without the support of the business that I work for because they've been amazing. So yes, I returned to work um, but the other thing on the back of the campaign that we wanted to do is we wanted to take it on a global tour which Kate and I talked about before she died and said it'd be a great way for me to one, see the world because there's places in the world that I wanted to see and still do um, and secondly to promote the campaign and thirdly for me just to have a bit of Personal reflection time and, um, you know, go to places like I said that I've not been to before. So I went on a 12 month career break then. Um, we started in September 2017. Um, and we, and when it, when I say we, that's me and the campaign. We traveled the world. We talked at various events. We did over 200 events in that year and um, spoke to many thousands of people. Um, and it gave me great. Pride knowing that I could do that, knowing that I could one, spread the message and spread the campaign and tell the story of, you know, Kate and I's life, but then also to be able to do that and raise money for other people as part of the charity as well, um, was great and something that Kate and I had talked about. But the other thing as well, I suppose, which is more from a getting on with life, is in some way, shape, or form. I am still relatively young, you know, early 40s, you know, I've still got... I might have a day left of my life, I might have 50 years, I don't know. You know, nobody knows how long they've got left. And so for me, it's what does that now look like in the next chapter? And you sort of break life down into chapters um, is something that I've always been um, a fan of and sort of um, as one chapter doesn't close, it just sort of moves on to the next chapter um things might develop in other ways um and who knows where life may take me next because I'm currently back in my career but I'm also doing some work with our health service um I'm also continuing with the campaign and I'm also got a very fulfilling you know social life um which surrounded by amazing people I like have a great family around me um a great you know network of friends um and, and and who knows what's next um, in, in my world because I'm not going to be one of these people that's just going to sit and grieve for the next 50 years because that's not what I want to do and that's certainly what not what isn't what Kate wanted me to do either um, and yeah I do have reflection moments and I do sometimes think I wonder what she'd be thinking about um, what we've achieved with the campaign and what I'm doing with life and Everything else, but then it also makes me smile knowing that I've been able to do all this um, since she died, and also she keeps on having those little reminders that she's still around. So, like it was my birthday a few weeks ago, and she still she wrote birthday cards for me up until my sixty fifth birthday. Um, so those kind of things, which are um, which are really nice, and some people might not like that, but other people do. I like it, um so for me personally, that's fine. you know other people might not like that kind of idea, but once again, if we know that we're if we've got that chance to do something like that for the people that are left behind um so in the form of a memory box or in the form of writing cards or whatever it looks like, then we should do it if we feel it's right for that person. Yeah.
0: I'm sure you've heard the word inspiring so many times. I don't want to overuse it, but it's very inspiring to hear you talk um, with this level of groundedness and humility, but also optimism, I think.
1: Yeah, and it's, um, you know, the word inspiring is used a lot in the world and there are some amazingly inspiring people out there and, you know, say Kate being one of them. And um, she She's the person that inspires me and many others every single day. Um, because she was doing all the things that she did um, whilst being terminally ill, and I think that's the difference between inspirational in- individuals such as Kate, and then other people talk about myself and inspiring and everything else, which I'm um, I go and talk at events and you know, I share I share a personal story and I try and make a difference and. If that's deemed as inspiring by others, then, then so be it. But for me, it's knowing that we are making a difference, which gives me reason to get up in the morning, to go and talk at the events that I go to and, and, and continue to share what we share on social media because it's making that difference to other people. But Kate's the one that inspires me every day and I'm sure many thousands of people across the world as well. So,
0: Thank you. It's been a joy to spend this time together. Do you have any final thoughts that you'd like to end on?
1: I think the final thoughts, I would, and I think I mentioned this as we've gone through um, the whole talk, is around each situation for each individual is different based on the circumstance. There's no right way or wrong way of dealing with conversations about death and dying, um, but we should be having more of them in society and... um, if we're comfortable with that. And I think my final point, and this is something that Kate and I always talked about, is, you know, whatever cards in life you've been dealt, you know, you have to play them as best you can. And if that means having those difficult conversations at a time that is right, then have those conversations because you might only get one chance to have that conversation. And if you don't do it at that point, then you'll regret not having that conversation. So make sure you have that conversation. And also... The other things around having a plan for your own funeral, having a plan um, for your own death, and making sure that everything else is in order. But fundamentally, having the conversations is is the right thing to be doing around death and dying, birth, before somebody's died, and also after somebody's died.